books out of the Bible uh, in order that God might be setting the agenda uh, rather than just whatever happened to pop into whoever's preaching ahead that week. And moment we're looking at the book of 2 Timothy. Um, so the reading is on the sheets, uh, but if you've got a Bible and would like to turn to 2 Timothy, we're reading from chapter 2 and verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. We're jumping into the, uh, the middle of a letter. Paul, the apostle, was writing to Timothy, uh, who's a young-ish church minister, sort of 30s, maybe early 40s. And Paul, who knows he's going to die, uh, is helping Timothy understand uh, how he might pick up the baton uh, and carry on this faithful gospel ministry that Paul has begun. So let's hear the voice uh, of the Holy Spirit in his word. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved away from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonourable, he'll be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Uh, You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray for God's help once more. Father God, we pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Enable us, we pray, not to swerve from the truth, but rather to rightly handle this word of life you've given us. Forgive us our sins, the sins of preacher and hearer alike, and bless us, we pray, through your spirit. As ever we ask in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Where's the most dangerous place for you spiritually? Where's the most dangerous place for a Christian? Uh, And for that matter, if you're someone who's investigating the the Christian faith, faith, um, where's the most dangerous place you could go? 
Where are you most likely to be led astray, subtly? Where are you most likely to be given wrong understandings of Jesus and of the gospel? Where are you most likely to stumble into a kind of catastrophe of spiritual confusion? Paul gives us an answer this morning, or God's word gives us an answer, and it's not a very comfortable answer, because the answer is church. That is the place you are most likely, says Paul, uh, to be deceived. That is the place where most spiritual damage could be done to you. I ought to say very quickly after that, it is also the place where most spiritual good can be done to you. It is also the place where most spiritual blessing will come to you. Uh, Both things are true. And therefore we need to have our eyes open. Uh, Let's jump right to the middle of the passage. Normally we sort of start at the beginning and work forward, so we, but just to get our bearings, jump jump right in with me to verse 20. And this picture of a house. Paul wants you to imagine a a huge house. Perhaps you've seen Downton Abbey. Uh, Children, you've been to one of the sort of lovely houses around Leeds, these big, posh houses. Imagine a great big house, says Paul. Uh, In it are all sorts of different, well, different vessels. I mean, sort of pots and pans and that sort of thing. Some of them are gold and silver. Okay, there's the the posh plates you bring out uh, when Aunt Mabel comes round. But there are also vessels of wood and clay. Now, in the days of Paul, uh, those were the kind of the rubbishy materials and stuff, disposable plates, plasticky stuff that's just going to get thrown away in our day. And the, the posh plates, the gold and silver, they're for good uses. And the kind of rubbishy clay and wood, well, they're for the more, well, as Paul calls them, uh, the less honourable, the dishonourable purposes. Okay, think of a toddler's potty, to put it bluntly. The house contains both. Things that are honourable and things that are dishonourable. Things that will serve you good, rich food and things that will serve you stuff you really don't want to eat. What is this house? It's not the Lord of Ephesus, his house, where Timothy lives. The house is God's house. This is the the church. Uh, The house is a common picture of the church in the New Testament. So Paul is saying within the church there are these two types of vessels. And what are these vessels? He's not talking about holy things as if you had kind of holy um, plates to serve the, the Lord's Supper on or something. No, they are people, teachers. I will see that unpacked as we go through a little bit more. But, but you see the point straight away? Within what looks like the church, the church as it appears to us, there are some ministries, some preachers, some pastors, some vicars, some elders who are honourable and useful to the master, but some who are dishonourable. The the church, as it appears to us, has always been, even from these earliest days when the Apostle Paul was alive, has always been, sadly, a mixed place. There has never been a time when you could guarantee that you walk through the doors on a Sunday morning of any group of people who call themselves a church and can be guaranteed that what you're hearing is the word of the Lord, that what you're going to be fed is rich food. 
there has always been a mixture. And not everyone who wears a, a dog collar, not everyone who stands at the front behind a pulpit or a music stand, is to be trusted. Some of you might have seen Line of Duty, uh, the police series that's just, uh, just finished. I won't give away any spoilers, but... Um, that the whole, the whole kind of series, or how many series there are, six series or whatever, follows this unit set up to find dodgy policemen. And the whole point is, just because someone's wearing a policeman's uniform and a policeman's hat uh, and holding a, a truncheon or whatever they hold nowadays, doesn't mean they're to be trusted. Sadly, some of them don't live up to the uniform. Well, that's the case too with ministers, says Paul. And his great concern in this part of 2 Timothy is for Timothy, this younger man, uh, to be useful to the Lord. You see that? Useful to the master of the house in verse 21. That should be the desire of any minister, any elder, any servant. Slave, actually, as Paul calls him, literally. That should be my heart's desire, Matt's heart's desire as you start serving as an elder. Peter's, and ultimately, of course, all Christians. Uh, The focus in 2 Timothy is on Timothy himself. He's the one receiving the letter. But as we say week by week, you know, there's nothing ultra special about elders, about ministers. Uh, They're just simply meant to be an example to everybody else. So it should be all our desires to be useful to the Lord Jesus. Uh, Or in the words of verse 15, uh, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, one who God approves of. Uh, So uh, what is, uh, what does a minister that God, God approves of look like? Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, I've, not, I've not been given the sort of sermon titles. They go up on the website afterwards, usually because I don't think of them until afterwards. And Tom texts me and asks me what it was called. Uh, we, we began this whole letter by talking about uh, the sound of gospel ministry. Paul told us that as he writes this letter, there are swords sharpening. And we read that Timothy was weeping. That's the sound that we were hear as we go through this letter. Uh, we thought about the, the strength okay, that you, you find in gospel ministry. Be strong in Christ Jesus. Zach taught us about that last week. We thought about the suffering of gospel ministry. If you want another S, okay, this week we're thinking about the smell of gospel ministry. Why? Is it stretching the, stretching the illustration a little bit? Probably. But look at it. There are some ministries that stink. Verse 17. There are some teachings that spread like gangrene. Gangrene is a horrible kind of wasting disease that absolutely stinks. Honourable ministry and dishonourable ministry. The kind of food that's served on gold plates, the kind of stuff that ends up in a toddler's potty. Teaching that brings life and health, teaching that stinks like gangrene. What is the smell of true gospel meaning? ministry? Two things, the calling and the character of the worker. Calling and the character of the worker. First of all, the calling uh, of the man of God. This is verses 14 to 19. Focusing on what is he to do? And he's to be a working man. Okay, he's to be a working man. The, the image this week is, of, is the, the, the kind of person you drive past on the road uh, who's, who's building a new motorway. Okay, this is to, he's to be a working man, says Paul. Uh, the context, verse 14, remind them of these things. Who is for them there? Well, for that, we'd have to look back to the beginning of the chapter, chapter 2, verse 2, uh, where uh, Timothy's been told uh, that what you heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Okay, so the whole flow of this chapter is all about Timothy uh, teaching others, passing on what he heard from Paul. Uh, why is that? Well, there's somewhere that Paul can't go. 
You might say there's lots of places Paul can't go. He's in prison. He can't go anywhere. But there's somewhere in particular Paul can't go. And for that matter, there's somewhere Timothy can't go. And for that matter, there's somewhere that I can't go. Okay, I'm, I'm one of the elders of Christchurch. There is somewhere I can't go uh, that Zach, who's our trainee minister, can go. That Matt Kirk, who we're sending off to Bible college in, in a few months' time, very soon actually, next month. There's somewhere they can go that I can't go. Where is that? It's the future. They are younger than me, and I, God willing, will die before them. My ministry will end before theirs. Paul's is about to end. He cannot go into the future. That's it for him. So he needs Timothy to pick up the baton and pass it on to men who themselves will be able to keep teaching. So that when Timothy's gone, someone else will pick up the baton. You can never get into the future. So you must train the next generation. Paul's been talking about what to train them in, remind them of these things, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which do no good, but only ruins the hearers. So instead, be an approved workman, okay, and train these other men to be approved workmen, these, these men you're sending into the future. Uh, what is an approved workman? Well, the key thing there, do you see in verse uh, 15, is he rightly handles the word of truth. That's the key verse. Okay, he's a workman. It's, it's, it's a, the language of you know, the, the bricky out there. Okay, he's a workman who rightly handles the word of truth. Rightly handles it. Again, it's, it's a strange word in the, in, in the Greek. But it is, it's the word for, for sort of making straight paths. Okay, so imagine you're building a road. Okay, and you don't want a road, do you, that sort of wiggles and, and sort of bends and turns all around the place. You want a road that's nice and straight, because cut through the hill, get to where you want to go. It's that, it's, that, it's that word. You're meant to do that with the word of truth. In other words, the, the message of the gospel. This gospel that's I've passed on to you. I don't think primarily Paul here is talking about um, training people in Bible handling skills. You know, you've got to spot the repeated word and work out how to break up the paragraphs. And Now, those are all useful tools, and it's a good thing to do. But that's not primarily what he's on about here. Rightly handling the word of truth... I think it means t- taking the straight paths through Scripture. Okay? T- teaching the Bible as it's meant to be taught. In other words, in particular, presenting Christ in his gospel from the Scriptures. Uh, rather th- than getting pulled apart into all these winding back roads. Let's see how Paul goes on. Uh, avoid, verse 16, avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. There are two ways you might stop being a good worker, okay? a, a, a road, uh, building a straight road. A distraction and distortion. Distractions there in verse 16. Irreverent babble. Uh, or verse 14. Uh, don't quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Look right down to the end of the passage, verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies you know they breed quarrels there's a kind of teaching a kind of ministry that is always finding new things secret things uh, things that will distract you from the, the, the main high road through scripture take away from christ repentance faith the cross the resurrection the gospel uh, sometimes those things aren't they're not necessarily anti-bible 
It may be they're just things the Bible doesn't talk about at all. In fact, if you read through the other letters that Paul writes to Timothy, one of the problems is people seem to be getting obsessed with, with genealogies. Now, there are all sorts of genealogies in the Bible. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll know sometimes you come chapters and chapters on them. Oh, we don't know exactly what was happening in Ephesus. Paul doesn't spell it out. But it, it seems that some people were getting so into them, they were putting all sorts of strange meanings out of them, perhaps, or tracing their lineage back to some obscure Old Testament character. Who knows? The point is that you can go wrong, not just by denying the Bible's truth, by getting, but by getting distracted from it. I think I've told the story before, but in, in the early days of the CU movement, the, the movement we now know as the CU movement, UCCF, wasn't called that back then. Uh, it began in, in the University of Cambridge. And there were two organisations, two Christian organisations set up. Uh, one was called the Student Christian Movement and the other, what became UCCF. And they decided it was silly. Why have two meetings, okay, two groups? We should come together. So the, 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 the leaders of each society met up. They're great, great names. Norman Grubb and Dan Dick, and then Rollo Perry for the other one. Okay, proper 19th, sort of early 20th century names. And the, the representatives from the, the CU, the Christian Union Movement, kept coming back to the same thing. Is your student Christian movement, does it put the atoning blood of Christ, the cross of Jesus' death at the centre. And they went round and round the roads all over the place and, and they kept coming back to this question. And eventually the leaders of this other movement said, well, we, we don't deny it. We don't deny Jesus died for our sins, paying the penalty for us so we might be forgiven. We don't deny it, but it's not at the centre. At which point the CU representative said, we're out, got up and left the room. Oh, we don't deny it. It's just not the centre of what we're about. That is a distracting or distracted ministry. Uh, you may know, and actually you may know better than me. Okay? I live in my little Christian bubble, you know, writing sermons, interacting with you guys largely. You, you guys are out there in the world. Some of you are students. Uh, some of you are in workplace CUs. Uh, you'll have been in all sorts of different churches. Uh, you may be able to think yourselves this morning of things that, that maybe you've been into or family are into or friends are into that aren't an outright denial of the Christian faith, but they're just weird. You hear about it and you say, where's that come from? And the danger is we get excited because it's new, it's different. Not that boring old Bible, boring old preaching, boring old cross and resurrection. I lose track. When I was at university, there was a thing called the Prayer of Jabez. It really popular for a while. Totally irrelevant now, gone. No point talking about it. Before that... There's a whole movement at the Toronto Blessing, huge in the 90s. As far as I'm aware, it's just totally gone now. Before that, was a group called the Kansas Prophets. No one's even heard of them nowadays. You can go back and back and back. And I, to us, I'm out of date. I don't know what is sort of cool and whatever nowadays. But it will be out there. And particularly if you interact with lots of different uh, folk, which is a good thing to do, by the way. But just, just keep your eyes open. Students in particular. Okay? See you in very mixed places. Come back to the scripture, the high road, the straight road. That distraction causes trouble, but so does distortion. This is what we get in verses 17 and 18, I think, with Hymenaeus and Philetus. Uh, they have swerved from the truth. Uh, they, uh, they've, they've actually distorted the meaning of the Bible. Uh, why? Well, verse 18, they say the resurrection has already happened. Now, we'll come back to what that might mean in a second. But, but just, just let that sink in. Hey, or, or let me ask you a question. 
if you went to Hymenaeus's service, okay, or you downloaded Philetus's talk off the internet, what word would you hear lots and lots and lots? Well, as far as we can tell, verse 18, the word you'd hear lots is resurrection. Now, that's a Bible word, isn't it? In other words, you would be hearing words that sound just right. Oh, good. Hymenaeus is someone who talks about the resurrection lots. That's a good thing. It's, it's fascinating. When you read through the book of Acts and the apostles preach, they actually talk about the resurrection more than the cross. Now, there are reasons for that, and that's not me saying we shouldn't talk about the cross by any means, but okay, good. The apostles talk about the resurrection lots. Hymenaeus talks about the resurrection lots. So does Philetus. Resurrection ministries, new life ministries. Exciting. But the problem is, they've distorted the meaning. Okay, same word, different meaning. In particular, they seem to say that the resurrection has already happened. Again, Paul doesn't spend much time explaining how that might work. Um, it is likely, just because we see this time and again in church history, it's likely they're teachers who are, who are promising um, that once you become a Christian... God delivers all the blessings at once. Now, that's just not true, is it? Uh, we're told that when Jesus returns, that we'll get our resurrection bodies, for example. Only when he returns, we'll be healed from all diseases. Only when he returns, we'll be purified from all sin. Or when we die. But not until then. And there have always been ministers, Hymenaeus and Philetus seem to be the start of the uh, the trajectory. There have always been ministers who, who've said, well, if you really believe, then all the blessings will come. If you really believe, you will not get sick or you will be cured. If you really believe, you won't be poor. If you really believe, you'll never be abandoned by your husband or wife. If you really believe, you can get rid of all sin in your life because we've been raised with Christ. That's a Paul expression, as indeed it is. We sit in the heavenly realms already, say Hymen- Hymenaeus and Philetus. Quoting Paul. You see, they can use all the language of the Bible, but actually deliver. Or deliver poison. How do you get someone to to eat poison? Children, how how can I get you to drink poison? See, I think if I came to you with a bottle with a big skull on it, and the words poison written across it, and said, here you go, would you like some? You'd say no. But if I got a donut... Okay, one of those Krispy Kreme donuts that cost an arm and an egg. Okay. And, and, and sucked out all the, the jam in the middle and, and injected in some poison. Well, then you might eat it, mightn't you? Because it looks like one thing, donut. But on the inside, it's something totally different. That is what Hymenaeus and Philetus and a thousand teachers since have done. Use the words of the Bible but change their meaning, distorted. See how dangerous it is, how subtle it is? I mean, it's popular. It spreads like gangrene. Two things we learn about false teaching. Uh, They used Bible language, resurrection, but also it's tremendously popular. Verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. I mean, it's not a pleasant image, is it, gangrene? But it, you know, it spreads fast. There's one thing you can say about gangrene. It's very good at spreading. But you see the two results as well. Two results, verse 16. It leads people into more and more ungodliness. You can see in the character. False teaching leads to false behavior, ultimately. 
ungodliness, and also the destruction of people's faith, verse 18. They're upsetting the faith of some. Just because someone uses the right language doesn't necessarily mean they're teaching what Paul has passed on to Timothy and has been passed down the centuries. That's why the word God needs to be so central. But it's also why just because someone says, oh, I believe the gospel, or I believe in Jesus, or I believe the Bible, sadly, that's, sadly that, that's not enough. We need to ask, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about the Bible? Uh, words can have their well, the goodness, the richness of the Bible can have its jam sucked out and poison injected in. Uh, hence, Timothy is to be a worker approved, to work hard at rightly handling the Bible. It's incidentally one of the reasons we have things like um, statements of our beliefs, doctrinal statements. So at least it's up there for you to see. Okay, if you see this, think that the Westminster Confession, which is the statement of belief of our group of churches, if you think it's wrong, well, first of all, tell me so we can sort it out. But if I say, no, I think it's right, well, then at least you know what we believe here as a church and you can you know, run for your life rather than hiding it away. Does this mean the church will collapse? Well, no, there is hope. Verse 19, don't despair, Timothy. God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Okay, the, the house, the foundations will stand. They've got this stamp on them, a seal. Children, that's not an animal, okay, a seal. It's the kind of stamp that kings used to put on things to say, this belongs to me. And the seal has two sides, if I can extend the metaphor. It's like a coin with two sides. Uh, these are two quotes from the, the book of Numbers. Uh, the Lord knows those who are his. Okay, God knows ultimately who his people are. He's not confused or deceived by Jimenez and Felicis. But on the other side, from our point of view, everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Ultimately, false teaching is seen as fruits. It leads to ungodly lifestyles. Now, both those quotes are from the story of Korah's rebellion in Numbers. Do you remember the story? Moses was leading the people through the wilderness. And Korah decided that he had enough of Moses being in charge. And Aaron, Moses' brother, being the high priest... So he said, why can't my gang, my clan, be priests too? We're going to offer incense. We're going to lead. You've got 250 people to agree with him. False teaching is always popular. And so God said, right, everyone outside your tents, I will show you who the men that I approve are, i.e. Moses and Aaron. Outside the tents they came, the ground opened up and swallowed Korah and his gang. The Lord always knows how to preserve his church. Have your eyes open. That's the calling of a gospel ministry to be a working man, making these straight roads. Much more briefly, because we're running out of time, I want to look at his character too. It's verse 22 to 26. The character. If his calling is to be a working man, his character is to be a running man. That's what you want in your ministers. You want them to be running men. Okay? Athletes. Laughing already. Uh, I heard that. Um, <laughs> They are to be running men. Do you see verse 22? Flee. Flee youthful passions. Shall run away from one thing, youthful passions, and pursue, another running word, righteousness. Something to run away from, something to run towards. Flee youthful passions. What are youthful passions? Well, inevitably, some people think it must be some sex and sexual immorality. Well, certainly you're to flee that. Uh, I suspect here it's a bit broader than that. Uh, youthful passions seem to be contrasted with 
you know, what Paul goes on to talk about, verse 23, foolish, ignorant controversies uh, and quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, verse 24. Uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Uh, one of the sins of youth. And remember, Timothy is described as a young man. One commentator reckons he's somewhere between 38 and 42. Okay, that's still, yeah, you know, same thing, still young. Um, one of the sins of, of, of young men is that they're apt to want to pick a fight. Okay, we see that in society, don't we? Just out there. It's, there's a brawl on the streets of Leeds one night. Ten to one, it's going to be young men doing it. But it's true, sadly, in the church too. Teachers can, can get hold of a bit of truth and want to batter everybody else with it. Pick quarrels, show they're right, they're smart, they're... I think those are the youthful passions, probably, that Paul has in mind here. Flee that, he says to Timothy, and pursue... Well, it's a Christ-like character, isn't it? If you wanted to summarise it, righteousness, it's right way of living before God. Faith, you need to pursue faith, grow in it. Ask God to grow your faith. Love, I, I expect that's love for those you oppose in particular, though of course love for God too. Uh, they aren't enemies to be destroyed. Uh, rather, uh, they are fellow men and women to be loved and restored. Seek peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so if you want to be a, a slave of the Lord, verse 24, a servant, don't be quarrelsome, but be kind. It's a very underrated quality, isn't it? Uh, we think good leaders are those who are single-minded, take no prisoners, but be kind, says Paul. Particularly kind to those who disagree with you. Able to teach and correct with gentleness. Uh, ultimately, because why is it that they and you disagree, Timothy? Is it because you're so pure and holy that God's rewarded you with the truth? They're so wicked that they're confused? Well, not really. Uh, you're no better than they are. Where does truth come from? Well, verse 25, God may perhaps grant your opponents repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. It's only when God gives the gift of repentance that anyone comes to know the truth. If you know the truth, Timothy, if you're teaching rightly, rightly handling the word of God, it's only because God has given you that gift. So be gentle and kind with those who at the moment haven't been given it. It is their fault, by the way. We, we're not, no one is saying that it's uh, God's fault when we don't understand, God's fault when we sin. Of course, it's our fault when we disobey and distort the truth. But rather, the only thing that will bring us back is the grace of God. So when we have been brought back to the truth, we can't sit on our high horses. Uh, behind it all is an enemy. Do you see verse 26? If you gently correct them, perhaps they'll come back uh, to their senses. It literally means sober up. Yeah, this sort of false teaching, distracting and distorting teaching, plus a drunkenness is Paul. Maybe they'll sober up and escape from, there's the enemy, the snare of the devil, after being captured by him to do his will. Two pictures, two animals. Children, do you know this? There are two animals in the Bible that are pictures of the devil, of Satan. Two animals. Uh, one is the lion and one is the snake or the serpent. Uh, the lion, Peter tells us, Satan is like a lion prowling around, roaring, looking for someone to devour. It tells us about one of Satan's tactics. He uses suffering, aggression. Uh, he does so off stage usually, 
He doesn't pop up, does he, and, and terrify you? No, he uses, as we'll see in this letter, he uses other people to persecute you. He's like the director off stage or the puppeteer using men and women to persecute the church. The lion roaring. But he's also a snake, and the snake lies, deceives. How does Satan do that? Again, sometimes just through people calling you fully away from the Christian faith, but in context here, he does it through false teaching, through people with reverend in front of their name, people who stand up on a Sunday morning next to banners with sound-sounding church names like Christ Church Central. He captures, there is a spiritual enemy out there trying to undermine the foundation of God's house, bring the whole thing down, turn all those gold vessels into toddlers' pots. So be kind. And also therefore be like Christ. It is Christ alone, Timothy, who can rescue you. You need to be like him, but only he can make you like him. And that is true for all of us, isn't it? As John Newton was dying, guy wrote Amazing Grace, minister, campaigner against slavery. As he was dying, a young, a young, uh, a young minister, 38-year-old guy called uh, William Joy, uh, went to see him with a little notebook. And he thought, Newton is dying. This great man is dying. I'm going to go with my little notebook. I, I want something from him. And he ended up recording Newton's last ever words. The last recorded words. Scribbled them down, looked at them later. He looked at his notebook. Newton had said this. My memory is nearly gone. But this I know. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great saviour. Great man. Wrote hymns, books, sermons published, sent across the world. Two things I know. My memory nearly gone. Never mind all the controversies. Never mind all the genealogies. Two things I know. I'm a great sinner. Christ is a great saviour. Whether you've been a Christian 70 years, five minutes, or whether for the first time this morning you'll come to him, he will save you. Whatever your sin, he will save you. That is the straight road the Bible teaches and lays out for us. You need bring him nothing but your sin. He is the light of the world, but bring your darkness to him and he will forgive. And for those of you are seeking ministry of some sort, whatever sort, longer term, stay close to him and he will shine his light and transform you, give you the character that will reflect his grace, his love, his gentleness, and bring men and women to the truth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, this is a sobering passage. And we pray that your mercy would grant us repentance. I pray for uh, the ministry here at Christchurch Central. Uh, Lord, for myself, for other uh, men who teach from this uh, pulpit. Uh, For those down the generations who we pray you'll raise up to follow us. Uh, Lord, in your mercy... Uh, would you enable us to rightly handle your holy word? I pray for faithfulness, for courage, uh, for gentleness, for kindness, for patience. Uh, Lord, give us all as a, a congregation, as your house, a desire for true ministry, a, a taste for your word, a hungering for it. Forgive us the times we've been bored or distracted. Uh, sought for newer things, more exciting things than the Lord Jesus himself. 
Uh, Lord Jesus, you are our only hope, your grace and mercy for, for preacher and hearer alike. So be gracious to us, build your house, add to our number, protect your flock, and bring us safely home, we pray, to that kingdom of light. Uh, this we ask in your name, for your glory alone. Amen. Amen.